Who would you rather Just, be, Trump or Biden? Go. Who would I rather be? Debate. Uh, with hopes to win, Biden. <laughs> <laughs> with hopes to win, regardless to how I think or feel about a thing ever, please give That's me Biden any day. Wake me up out of my nap in all full grumpiness and put me in a mic in front of Biden and he's he's going down. <laughs> like, you got Biden. I'll debate Trump. We're going to talk zero policy. We're just, zero. We're just insulting each other for an hour. Yes. Because they don't talk policy anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so what difference does it make? We'll be in good, uh, in good company. Trump talks in insults and Biden talks in platitudes. You got to figure out which yes. one. Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right. Like just the the, the pure vagueness <laughs> of Trump's statements on a normal basis. Uh, yeah, I heard he's a really good guy. Uh, it's really great. Uh, he's gonna do some good work, fantastic work. Uh, um, literally three days later, when everything comes out that this is like the most horrible, most ill repute person in their entire field, if you can even respectfully say that they belong to said field at all, because sometimes we found out that they really necessarily don't. And when all this comes out and someone holds his foot to the fire about it, uh, Mr. President, what do you have to say about such and such? Oh, well, I never really had dealings with the person such and such and such. Uh, maybe someone said that they were great. It wasn't me. I, I don't know. I, I never said that. But uh, what? <laughs> I'd like to first commend you on your Trump impersonation. It's pretty, <laughs> that's a pretty. Oh, accent. no, I didn't do like an accent or anything like that. You know, it's I just for the slick talk. Yeah, just oh yeah, he's really good and it's gonna do gonna do a fantastic job. Such so, oh my goodness gracious. Oh help. Well, welcome everyone to the Black Ocracy. <laughs> <laughs> welcome guys. Welcome back. Welcome, welcome back. back. We're here after a couple of weeks, I think it was. Yes, it's been a couple of weeks. It's been a couple of weeks. Um we we are glad that you guys are here, that you are listening. Um and you know, maybe we'll make this a weekly thing, we'll say. But let's so see. Happening. So much happening. And uh, this is gonna be a busy time, I think, the second half of mm-hmm. twenty twenty apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, we like, I, and, and anyone who follows me on social media, they know that I've been making this running joke, although I'm like half serious, about <laughs> a presidential candidate asteroid. <laughs> like, I'm just really ready to vote for the asteroid to just come take us at this point, because, you know, that might be an improvement, to be honest. Um, but yeah, and, and so I even reports came out last week that there's going to be an asteroid. <laughs> I am not. It's gonna, it's gonna be an asteroid heading for us in about November, December. I'm not surprised at all. So literally, whoever is the next president, which I, I have my assumption as to what that's gonna be, because I mean, who's kidding themselves? But you know. Um, you know, they're going to be president for all of five hot minutes and then it's just going to be Aerosmith songs in the background and it's, you know, <laughs> happy extinction. <laughs> I don't want to fall asleep because I miss you, baby. 
Yeah. You know, Bruce Willis is going to pop out asking questions. <laughs> Morgan Freeman is going to be narrating it over the news because why not? You know, let's let's just make it full throttle. Why not? <laughs> so let's go all the way. <laughs> and then we'll just figure it out. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but again, guys, welcome to the Blackocracy. We've said this like three, four times now. Thank you for um, your continued support. We look forward to, you know, as we grow our style, as we grow how we do this thing, um, and as we grow our audience. We appreciate you guys for, um, and, and I appreciate all the feedback too, as well. You know, I get personal feedback from folks. Um, you know, some, someone may actually inbox us on our Instagram or Twitter, um, or something like that. You know, even when you don't think people are paying attention because maybe we don't, you know, tweet that often or what have you. Um, we're very busy people, but we're working on it. Um, but yeah, you don't even think that folks are paying attention and then you see that they are because we'll actually get feedback on um, what they liked, what sounded good and so forth. So, um, you know, keep listening. Thank you. And keep uh, giving feedback. I, of course, am Jess and my counterpart here, my brother, uncle. <laughs> Shine. But not literally. Wait a minute. Not literally, guys. Like, so he's my uncle for real. But like, you know, we're the same exact age, so we were raised more like brother and sister. So this is, that's our joke, you know. There you go. <laughs> Niece, sister, brother, uncle. <laughs> so we do. Um, but yeah, so we're here. We we have a lot to um, cover going forward. Not just today, but like really, I kind of want to like record a bunch at once because man, so many things have happened. Black folks, we have been through some things huh. in just the past week's time. It's been nuts. Yeah, absolutely nuts. Been ridiculous. Um, but first, before we jump into the topics we're going to jump into today, um, how have you been? How have I been? I have been pretty well, actually. Um, I am in a space where I am extremely busy, but um, I am happy at the busyness. I am, you know, part of many um, impactful community organizations and programs. Um, family service organizations within the community that do um, violence intervention, um, you know, intervention programs for all different ways in which our people need that in the community for, you know, family advocacy, personal advocacy, mental health services, um, and also the actual intervention work for violence within our community and victim support. I'm involved in that type of work. Um, those of you who do not know that I'm also connected to various organizations like the North County Violence Coalition. Um, I am part of the community events team for Girls Live, Love, Laugh. Um, we have some community walks and things like that that will, you know, for the safety and health of everyone, be virtual. Although I think our team is going to be actually walking outside, of course, socially distanced. Um, so you can find us on Instagram and any social media portals with regard to Girls Live Love Laugh Inc. Um, there's a whole lot, a whole lot. The 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 New Jersey um, 
chapters for the Association for Black Social Workers. Um, you can look us up. I'm part of the student chapter there. We're trying to make it do what it do. <laughs> you know, if nothing else, we, we try to make ourselves some type of voice um, in discussion and awareness of what Black folks are going through and how we can keep our minds straight. Um, there's just so much. I'm, I'm you know, management at the Community Food Bank of New Jersey. We work into food security, all of those things. So like I'm I'm doing it out here and it's a lot of work, but I love it. <laughs> so, you know, I'm in love with what I do. Anyone who knows me, they know I'm all about the people, all about the community. So that's just always where I'm going to be at. That's what we've uh, been discussing in depth, I guess, the last two Blackocracy episodes, you know, is connecting, um, is us as a people uh, connecting more with community organiz- organizations, community organizing as a, as a initiative. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it sounds great. And how's you? Um, I'm good. Um, as some or most of you know, if you if you know me <laughs> or if you listen to this, <laughs> I'm uh, you know I work in development uh, in our home our continent of Africa um, and so we're doing a lot of projects now especially with the COVID-19 pandemic um, and trying to manage it especially in uh, various countries within Africa um, and on the side doing work as usual so busy with other side projects and more creative projects as well so um you know i definitely want to continue to connect with people especially on this level on this platform because um, like you said the we have seen some good responses from the episodes that we have put out um and we're going to be more consistent with it as well um as we become more organized mm-hmm. on uh, the blackocracy because um, there's a lot of things that we want to um, share with you all. Um, conceptual episodes. It just so happens that when we do a lot of episodes, things within the world do not stop. So you have a million mm-hmm. um, around our molding of information and concept shows. Um, you know, current events are happening currently. <laughs> every. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, but. Overall, I'm well. I can't complain. Uh, Excellent. And yeah, we we try like we we're, we're really not um, focused on you know just speaking about current events. Um, so as Shine was saying, you know, just like really um, covering a lot of um, concepts and common threads that we notice, like a lot of like cultural analysis, things of that sort um, that we notice and and how various things are impactful to us, um, instrumental, developmental, even detrimental. Um, Yeah, so we're we're working on finding the balance of content there um, and just making sure that we, you know, provide some type of perspective and open the door or open the um, conversation for different types of perspective that maybe we have not necessarily been exposed to yet. And simply because we haven't been exposed to them doesn't mean they're not being said, but you know, just at least adding that voice to it. Uh, We like to do that. So that's what we're here for. And with that being said, 
I do want to send our solidarity to all the protesters um, who are fighting, just like a lot of other protesters around this country. They're fighting against um, white vigilantism. They're fighting against police. They're fighting against the federal and local government. They're fighting against the Republicans, the Democrats, <laughs> everybody who is actually formed against people who um, protest and fight against anti-blackness in this country because it's unified. It's not just one pocket of people doing it. Um, it is literally the government. Um, literally. I just wanted to make that clear off top and sending my solidarity to those those people on the ground across the country. I kind of wanted to at least get a few minutes to discuss um, mm-hmm. the black folk. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that mythical creature. Yes. <laughs> In, in my mind, you know, what it looks like, it looks like if you could somehow take Falcor, I'm getting a little nerdy on y'all, <laughs> Falcor, as in, you know, the flying lion dog thingy dragon um, on the never ending story. Yeah. Take Falcor, right? Um, give him the voice of, let's say, not Morgan Freeman. Maybe Ving Rhames, I guess. I was going to say, that a booming voice. Yes. Give, <laughs> right. Make him black, of course. <laughs> Maybe throw like some, um, some like Black Panther insignias all over him. You know? There he is, the mythical creature, the black folk. <laughs> that ever elusive creature that you never really hear about for the most part up until a presidential election is coming up. Yeah. <laughs> he sits back in his cave, I guess. <laughs> like on some Lord of the Rings type shit. So there's a lot. <laughs> Go there's ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, it's fine. Cause it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's really nuts. <laughs> The the reason that we're having this conversation, if you are, if you don't know, um, Kamala Harris is the vice president uh, candidate, I guess, along with Joe Biden. Nominee, Um, I guess. Nominee. The word, the word can nominee be? Well, well, she's been um, selected, if you will, by presidential candidate Joseph Biden um, for his VP running mate at this point. Yeah. There you go. And so with as if it wasn't hard enough (laughs) (laughs) as if it wasn't difficult enough as being um, gosh, I don't even know what she would call it, but I guess we left as being a person on the left, the, the far left, I guess you would say, um, to it was hard enough having to deal. I guess the Joe Biden, um, the Joe Biden existence, as far as his existence as a candidate, um, it got even harder with Kamala. Um, and while, first off, let me say this: I think it's amazing that a black woman is in the position to become president. Um, mm-hmm. I think it is. Uh, necessary that we start to see faces who look like ours in those positions. Um, It's Uh the same position I had when Obama was a candidate. My first 
voting in a presidential election was for Obama. Um, it's the first time I ever voted in my life um, was for him. I voted both times for him. Um, so I do believe that seeing our faces is a cause for inspiration for other people to think that they can attain those goals. Uh-huh. Um, but that's about it when it comes to my right. representation. Right, policy. right, right, right. Because let's be, you know, even more clear than we've been every other episode and time we've both said this because we both feel this way. Simply because the person in the space happens to be Black does not mean <clears throat> that white supremacy <laughs> is not rampant or or part of that particular person's platform or that particular person's perspective or what have you. It doesn't mean that white supremacy or otherwise anti-blackness or even just the disregard of overall blackness is not present. It just doesn't. You know, that that's how that is literally how indoctrination um, works. It's supposed to excuse me and colonization. That's how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to work in the function that it takes the folks that are not of the colonizer and it tries to warp them into not only the colonizer, but the best agent of the colonizer possible among those colonized people. That's the whole point. So we shouldn't be surprised at any point when we see, knowing that we've been colonized as a people, we should never ever be surprised if we see or hear any one of us espousing what to us signifies colonizers' conversation or colonizers' perspective or actions or policies. We shouldn't be shocked because that is literally what the plan was. <laughs> and I think we have to, let's, let's kind of be, um, let's start with a foundation. Before we even talk about the candidates in this election, um, I think we have to talk about the foundation, right? So the onus yes. consistently from, uh, I'm not even going to say the Democratic Party, but I can say uh, the Democrats, um, a lot of the time is to vote for their candidates. Um, Republicans do it too. So all of the conservatives and Republicans listening, you guys do the same thing. Um, I don't believe in running from one party to the other. I think both of them are insanely corrupt and are insanely, but insanely. So look, but I can only use Democrat because one, I voted Democrat on a few elections and because they are the more liberal um, presenting party. So Um, We have to talk about the foundation, you know, there's an onus on black people from pre every election, every president elect, every doggone presidential election, um, specifically from the liberal elite and those people in the higher parts of the party. um, There's an onus on black people to vote. Right. Well, the first flaw there is let's look at the last election between Clinton and Trump. Hillary Clinton won um, the last election by the by the highest margin of someone who has not um, won a president election presidential election. Um, she got two point nine million popular votes, three point three almost three million popular votes, and she still didn't win. So when you see people saying, you know, vote or this person is going to win or vote, that's not how it works. It works by 
the electoral system. Um, So if you are in a swing state or if you are in a state that is typically um, going to um, a Republican, then you're going to want to make sure to vote because then you could help sway the electorate in your state. Um, But if you're in a state like, let's say, New York, um, you know, you voting for your Democrat candidate, it's not really going to push the parameter. And even if you do, you're going to have a situation like in 2016 where, you know, Hillary Clinton gets all of these popular votes and still doesn't win. So I think that we have to be very specific and deliberate when we talk about the voting process. Okay. Um, We have to put the onus on people who are in swing states. Um, We have to put it on people who already support a candidate to go out and go sway voters who voted in the other direction. But what we see a lot of the times is we see um, a lot of the onus, especially as being a black person from the whatever party you represent on being you getting out and voting Um, specifically for the Democrat Party. Hillary Clinton received 88 percent of the black vote. Okay, Um, 88 percent. Eight, only eight percent of black people voted for Trump. That is the highest rate of any race. (laughs) Hillary Clinton received the highest amount of votes from any race was black people voting for her. Um, By comparison, 58% of white people voted for Trump. 29% of Latinos voted for Trump. 29% of Asians voted for Trump. Um, And only 8% of black people voted for Trump. So we already know typically where black people's vote is going to lie. It's going to be in the more liberal candidate presented to us in an election. Um, So that's the first part. And so when we see all of this, you know, black people don't vote black. Why ain't y'all voting? It's a false narrative. And it goes back to kind of the false narratives and false equivalencies we tied in previous episodes. Um, So now I guess let's fast forward. Now that we understand the foundation of this, let's kind of fast forward to now, to 2020. Um, We are presented with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris um, against Donald Trump and Pence here in this election. Um, The issue that we consistently see a lot of the times is people saying, vote or else. Vote is being attached to everything. If there is a crime, happening somewhere will vote so it can stop happening. If there's an anti-black situation going on, if somebody gets shot by the police, it's vote. Yeah. Um, and the issue with this is that typically, not typically, normally, regularly, the Democratic candidate upholds white, suprem- white supremacist violence against black people. They're a tool of it. Um, you, we, we started off talking about Obama the Ferguson protests happened under the president, the presidential um, management of this country by Barack Obama was un- was Ferguson that occurred while he was president. Um, Baltimore, Freddie Gray, those protests occurred under Obama's presidency. He went- not only that, not only those, but remember, um, what was it? Uh, what did they call it? Was it beer gate? I don't remember actually the um, the, the popular um, term, but there were a bunch of 
sit down and play nice Negro uh, moments during Obama's presidency where, you know, he tried to show like his actual personal um, opinion on something anti-Black and <laughs> we ended up with a beer party on the White House lawn. <laughs> so... <laughs> Awesome. where he and the cop who so just to just to back it up for a second so there was this whole incident where um you know world renowned um historian and uh, uh writer and genealogist um Henry Louis Gates was actually trying to get into his own home in I believe Cambridge um Massachusetts and he was you know arrested, accosted, all these things. And Obama made a statement about it. Like, I think he was just like, well, that's stupid. Something like that he said, you know, just in passing, but it was obviously recorded. It was on, you know, on the news real quick. And um, rather than being able to make, or rather than taking the stand to make a statement and use that as a moment to talk to uh, that sort of thing. We ended up with the three of these guys, the cop included, having lunch and beer on the White House lawn, which is striking to me for a myriad of reasons, but most notably because even when um, Bill Clinton was president, he spoke to race more frankly than that. <laughs> like, you know, uh, I, I remember when um, the when the the lynching of James Byrd happened. Um, you know where the brother was dragged behind the pickup um, truck in Jasper, Texas, and you know where he got on, where Bill Clinton got on um, press conferences and on TV, and he spoke to anti-blackness more frankly than that. And that's Bill Clinton for Christ's sake, you know. So like it, it's it, moments like that. <laughs> um, that yeah putting all that together well and also we have to also address the fact that obama as a black president as being i guess you would call it the king of representation politics right exactly um also he also after michael brown was shot and killed by the police and the ferguson protest happened um he didn't sign a law to protect black people from anti-black violence or police violence. Instead, he signed the blue alert law to protect the police in 2015. Um, also, when the protests happened in Baltimore, he called the protesters thugs, very, very similarly to Trump when he called protesters thugs. Um, also, Obama, as the president, um, went to Flint during when the, you know, when that first happened, when all the issues in Flint first happened with the water. Um, and not only did he go to Flint and speak and try to placate the people, but he also pulled a stunt, which has been recorded on video. And and I, I believe it was, uh, I forgot what film it was on. I'll find a clip and insert it here, but um, where he drank the water in front of the people to a large crowd of gasps from a lot of the black people in the audience going, why would you even, why, like, why would you try to pull a stunt to persuade us to drink the water? Um, and then not only did he do that after, at the, the, the press conference after, he drank the water again. 
um, pretty much to tell people, oh, it's safe to drink. Well, it comes to find out it was not safe to drink and poisoned um, and hurt the lives of many of the black people who are residents in Flint. Um, so again, um, he has upheld um, anti-blackness in this country. Um, a lot of his speeches to black people are speaking down to black people. Um, a lot of his resolutions always come to vote. Um, we see recently with the uh, with the actions of the NBA in which they boycotted a game during the playoffs. Um, he put out a tweet that said, you know, we have to stand up to these institutions for our values. But what values are those? What values did Obama show that, you know, <laughs> many of these other anti-Black systems and government bodies um, are currently showing? What did he stand up for as president for us? Um, I would say very Didn't little. Didn't he, wasn't he the one so, who said um, something about Cousin T-Bone and... <laughs> And Tyrone and someone else didn't he didn't he make pandering statements like that? That seems like him or Booker. Booker, Bo- had, Booker uh, said, yeah, yeah, Booker said the uh, Big Mama and something else. <laughs> I thought that's how our our black politicians speak to us, but uh, yeah. Uh, to make it seem as if they know what we're talking about, and and like I don't I don't want to make it seem as if I am saying that we cannot use the colloquial speak with each other and among each other even in public. That's not what we're saying. That's not what I'm saying. It's we're, we're talking about context. yeah. It's we're completely about, about context, and it's also about what is the accompanying message with that speech. Um, we had. Not we. I had an argument on Twitter with folks back and forth. And, you know, I used to do the Twitter thing like mad years ago, um, trying to get myself back into it because honestly, it's more fruitful conversation than Facebook. But um, yeah, like I, I, I was in this whole back and forth, this really huge back and forth, uh, maybe about a month or so ago when um, that uh, who's he? The Surgeon General um, made those similar pandering statements, um, talking about you know the alcoholism and so forth in the black communities being some type of reason why we're having such a hard time with um, our COVID numbers, and as opposed to other races per se, and um, and folks white folks really did um come back at me and others saying well obama said such and such and i'm like um this may come as a shock to you because i'm pretty sure by you know virtue of your statement that you don't actually know any black people but (laughs) we didn't like it when he said it either (laughs) you know we never like it when they do that and we we uproar about it every time because oh. it's not what they're saying necessarily it's the context and and the message that is attached to it and it's what they won't say right i mean let's let's be honest too you know um you have people in a certain demographic <clears throat> who think that when you're talking about when you call kamala you know the top cop that you're somehow insulting her when she called herself the top cop um, correct you you also have to look at the fact that um, people circulate this clip within context of her being asked what she's going to do for the black community. And she laughs 
and says, what do you mean what, I'm not, what am I going to do for the black community? I'm, I'm nothing. I'm going to do something for all of us. Um, and Which recently, was also, once he got into the um, presidency, that was also President Obama's statement. I am everyone's president. And you have to look too. As if we didn't know that. <laughs> this week, Kamala had another interview where the, the gentleman who interviewed her, um, I forgot which platform was on, maybe NBC or CBS, I'm not exactly sure, but it's, it's also circulating online, um, where she was asked about Black men who have voted for Trump and what she's going to do because of her past um, to persuade Black men. And she had a very similar response. Uh, nothing. I'm going to do what... I'm going to do it for everyone. Um, I mean, I'll give her credit on that. At least she's being transparent. Well, yeah. And also, and you know, also... Uh, Which doesn't account for much, but still. Well, th- and th- But that's what I wanted to talk about when it comes to it's what they won't say. They will not right. say it. She's but being if, you them, if you ask them, and, you know, people have gotten clips of them talking about specifically what they will do for other communities. Um, yeah. I mean... Um, but they will not talk to what they will do for black women or black men or black children or black people as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. They just will not speak to it. And you have to understand, too, as being a, a person on the outside, that it's for a reason. Um, they understand the system in which they are trying to be a part of. Um, and I can't say that they're trying to be a part of the system to change it because we see um, that materially they have not. They have worked with the system. Um for people to not get the fact that both black women and black men have a reason to be skeptical skeptical of Kamala when much of her career in California was to prosecute black women and black men. Which by the way, um, now president uh, Donald Trump actually made financial contributions to her campaigns during those times. Yeah. And she, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't state that. And, and, you know, <laughs> to this day, um, she was asked about during the debate when she talked about the busing situation with Joe Biden. And again, I think it was she was on Stephen Colbert and this clip is around where she laughs it off. Oh, it was only a debate. And he's like, well, what about, you know, you accused him of racist things and she just laughed and said, why do I have to address that? It was a debate as if to mean that none of it was sincere. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm trying to get a job here. <laughs> right. Well, I. Well, like, well, um, which is basically exactly what Trump said as well. Um, You know, he was talking about drain the swamp and this, this, that and the third. But he said it very clearly in his paying for the wall. He said it very clearly in his statement as well later on, you know, in front of a whole big crowd where he's doing his whole pandering thing. Right. He said it. He's like, yeah, well, you know, well, I, I mean, unless it. Uh, unless I win, then, you know, of course, then I don't care. But (laughs) like, yeah, like his statement was almost verbatim that he's like, well, you know, unless I win, then, you know, it's whatever. But um, otherwise, they're all corrupt. (laughs) I mean, period. This is what it is, right? Um, Whether it's Obama or Kamala, whichever your representational love is for, um, we can be nuanced. We can we can respect the fact that seeing a black face in these positions is great and inspirational for black people, and we can also address the fact that their existence is a detriment to black lives. Um, Absolutely. 
it's it's also neocolonialist. I mean, neocolonial neocolonialism neo is when a colonized person comes into a colonized system to enact those same policies as the colonizer, right? So, like, that's what these people are, um, and we can't take that for granted. When I go, when I go online and I see people like like Ava, um, and I see black celebrities and people in the black elite um, who go online and who spend much of their career attaining it off of black lives, and when I say that, um, I'm not saying killing black people and anything like that. I'm saying they attain it off of promoting blackness. Um, you know, whether it's through movies or um, through music, um, they speak to blackness, you know? Like I see many black artists and musicians who I love who then come out and say, forget about people's past. You know, vote now, forget about their past. Well, it's difficult for me to forget about a past when somebody like Kamala um, defended the three strikes law, which has put hundreds of thousands, if not millions of black people in prison unjustly. Um, Not only that, but the far reaching implications and the far reaching impacts of putting one individual, especially the man of the family, um, into a now basically dooming his life for the most part, because you've now given him a record. You've also taken him out of the community where he otherwise could have, uh, you know, attained or or received training for some sort of vocation, education, he could have gone to college or something like that, where he could have furthered his own personal and professional development in some type of way otherwise, or at least been able to access those things because he was otherwise not incarcerated. So you've, you know, and then he has a record. So then, you know, attaining all those things later on is going to be increasingly more difficult. You've done that to his individual life, but you've basically, you know, shot an entire community and a family in the foot by, you know, taking away that one person that's lost income, that's lost support. It's, it's, it's a whole myriad of things. So you've destroyed basically an entire generation, if you will, or even the next two generations of families or uh, an entire community, let's say. Um, she failed to support body cameras for police. Um True, her truancy prosecutions of black women and black mothers because their children laughed about, and then laughed about it when asked about that record. Mm-hmm. So, like, these are things that directly affect our people, um, and I can't just overlook them because they are your sister girl, or you guys have some kind of corporate bond, or like you feel like you want to attain that level of black eliteness. I just what I feel like what I feel like there is that it's even it's in addition to that, let's say, in addition to that, it's um, it's like, you know, White House or bust. So it's it's like the we have to accept this. So this is multi-layered. It's the we have to accept this. That's the first problem, because and again, my I am of the mind that regardless to my individual opinion of how I'm going to move or, or how I'm going to govern myself accordingly, you know, understanding culture and understanding my people. I, even if I don't necessarily agree with a perspective, I understand. Right. And I get it. And I believe in that person's right to land where they land, Mm -hmm. even if, 
even if it's in opposition to me or, you know, I get it, even if I don't like it per se, um, or I don't land there. So that being said, um, speaking for folks who, you know, that's, that's where they stop at. <laughs> you know, we have to accept this. First of all, no, we don't. <clears throat> no, we don't. And folks who will not accept it, I don't blame them. Well, and then also we, folks have, who, we have to call folks out say, people. Yeah, yeah, we have to call out people who weaponize like civil rights language, right? Well, that's and, where. Well, that's where I'm going with it. Okay. So there's so there's those folks, and then take it to the next you know nuanced level. We have to accept this, even though it's the lesser of two evils. No, you don't. You don't have to accept it. Take it to the next level of nuance. Um, it's what's problem was problematic for me in this is the we have to accept this now don't talk about the bad stuff that's what's killing me and this is personal too that's what's getting me like even if i land on being one of those folks like you know well i vote all the time so i'm gonna vote anyway and you know you can probably assume the way i'm gonna vote but like even if i make the personal choice to accept that I don't need anybody telling me, though, which, you know, the um, folks like Ava and others have, as you've noted, I don't need folks telling me now, let's not talk about the criticisms part. You can't silence me. You can't silence folks and you can't say that they can't raise dissenting opinions. You can't say that people cannot focus on things that need to be focused on because <laughs> what we're discussing, the, the end result has been the literal destruction of yes. people's lives, people's livelihoods, and entire communities and generations of folks in places. So we, you can't tell me that I can't speak about the things that are worthy of criticism. I can. Yes. That's the problem for me. Yeah. <laughs> like when, when those past things, they're not like, oh, they stole something from the store. Um, those past things are like detrimental to the lives of like thousands, if not millions of black people. <laughs> That's not something to overlook. <laughs> right. And on top of that, like you can tell me, okay, if you, you, you got to make it applicable to everyone. That's also where I'm going with it. You got to make it applicable to everyone. If you're going to tell me that I have to accept this in order to battle the bad thing or the big bad thing or whatever. I have to accept this. And even if I can do that and go along with that, if what you're telling me is that the, the, the mindset I need to have with these people and with this situation or the circumstance that I find myself in is that highlight the, the, the positive or, or highlight the simple fact that they are the opposition to what we really don't want. Um, and ignore the bad, well, or or ignore the critical past. Um, I need you to also apply that then, therefore, to regular people, because specifically what it is that we're critiquing about both of these individuals is their voting and policy and otherwise professional past with regard to the lives of and and criminal justice system and legislative systems of dealing with black folks and mass incarceration specifically right so and drug policy and those types of things but specifically mass incarceration so if you're going to tell me that these people I have to accept the good and let's just, you know, 
you know, not even focus on the bad, then you need to tell me then that we're going to turn that same perspective back on the black people that got incarcerated because of their actions. You're going to have to tell me that then. So is, is are, are they going to then therefore take that same perspective that we're using for them? And are they going to use that in any type of um, policy and any type of initiative or anything like that? That's going to use that same exact mindset to let go of the, cri- the criticisms of the past or what have you in the past, because we're moving forward as a society, as you're saying. Are you going to use that same perspective for the incarcerated folks? Because if it's good for the goose, it needs to be good for the gander then. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Or am I only applying this to powerful people and to hell with regular people? Is that what you're saying? Not even that. You're only applying it to the powerful people that you want to look look in a positive light with. You know what I mean? Right. Just to get a certain job done. Yeah. Um, But the problem is, is like, those people's when we're talking about politics um we can't confuse celebrity and politics what happens in politics is you have especially with the social media age is you have a bunch of people who like form hives or like uh fan groups um and the issue with that is that these are politicians they're supposed to be working for us and working for our demands um and working to appease our demands as you know as the people who vote for them um that means our job as a people is to consistently push them into policies and things that would better our lives not just blindly accept whatever they decide to give us um and you know you hear right now the big trope about well let's vote them in and then we'll hold them accountable well the problem with that is you're not even holding them accountable now and so when they get in office and they have the power to do whatever so they please, um, they will not care about whatever you're saying <laughs> because they do the job that is um, in front of them. They do what will help their corporate partners, will help the people who fund their campaigns and fund their lives. Um, the lobbyists, that's, that's who's most impactful to them. Um, a bunch of people where they can just say blank state blanket statements to um, and know that they will attain the vote of their party because a lot of their party are just fans who blindly follow wherever um, the DNC or RNC tell them to go. They don't have to do, you know, give you that substance. They can just give you platitudes and election speeches and you'll fall where the chips may. Um, so you have to hold these people accountable now during the election season and your only power as a voter is your vote, is your voice. Um, and just to give people both uh, blindly is ridiculous because let's let's give an instance, right? We have Biden. Now we, we keep saying we'll hold many people, right? Across the board, especially those who are pro voting for him um, would say, you know, forget it. We'll hold him accountable when he gets in office. Um, Well, let's talk about what's happening right now in this country. This country is going through a lot of turbulence when it comes to anti-Blackness and police shootings. Um, There is a large movement that is asking for police to be defunded. Um, And 
this country consistently defunds healthcare, they defund education, um, they defund housing. I think we've touched on that in a, about two or three episodes. Oh God, the defunding of education, it's always uh, on a state and federal level. <laughs> I mean, how many years did we argue about um, big bad divorce? Yeah. And we have heard literal pe- not a peep from <laughs> or about her well in in the last several months which is very problematic well no I, she's been actively destroying the education system yes <laughs> she has she's been in the news the entire time destroying the education system and i think right now uh democrats are just focused on voting trump out because if he goes then his whole cabinet goes but just what i was saying just i wanted to finish that point about defunding the police well both biden and kamala both got on tv recently and biden has consistently said this he wants to give the police more funding um and this is his response consistently uh, when police uh are seen killing us and shooting us um and people keep saying well reform and you know i don't want to defund the police because he sees that trump is you know, Trump is actually using that against him, right? Is that, oh, he's a radical. He's a, he wants to, de- and he keeps saying, no, I want to give them more money. But the whole time, what black people need is not being addressed by either candidate because they're wanting to prove to police unions and they're wanting to pr- prove to uh, lobbyists that they'll give the police more funding and continue militarizing the police. Meanwhile, the needs of black people who need not only reform, because let's we 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 set, stated this two episodes ago. All of the reform that is being talked about, like body cameras being necessary, a lot of these things are already mandatory in many police departments, including the ones um, like in Minneapolis. It was mandatory. These but these police unions and police officers decide what laws they want to abide by when they want to abide by them. And when a person, a a black person is dead in the street, it's too late to fix that. So that's why people are calling for not just reform, but for defunding, take away money to militarize, take away this incentive to allowing them to have this reign over whole communities. Um, That's why people are asking for abolishment of the police system because it is corrupt from its foundation completely. And the enemy of police are black people. They are not, their basis is not there to help us. It is to come in and regulate communities. And by regulating, they can do whatever they so happen to have. They are given agency over black bodies and that is not correct. So that's why people are calling for defunding and abolishing. But now you have a situation where both Kamala and Biden and Pence and Trump are having a who's going to give the police more money debate. Meanwhile, the needs of black people are not being met, but we're being asked to vote for a party in that whole who's going to give the, the, the police more money. We're being asked to put our needs to the side, as is always, to vote for people who are going to continue oppressing us. Um, and it just does not compute. It doesn't make sense. Um, and what even made me more sad was I go online and seeing people justifying the crime bill. Black people and liberals justify, oh, it wasn't that bad. Oh, it was a, it was crazy in the streets in the 90s. Oh, man, we needed the crime bill. Well, guess what? It also attributed to millions of Black people being put in jail for either longer than they should have been or when they should not have been at all. 
you know, we talk about these rates of, of Black people in prison. And then now what? Now we're at a point where you have a lot of our demographic and a lot of people who were supposed to be for us with Black Lives Matter in their bio saying, oh, mass incarceration wasn't that bad. Crime bill wasn't that bad, <laughs> you know? It's rationalizing things that are completely supposed to be against what they claim to stand for. Um, for this is two things for me, and I, I want to also um, add to the defund the police discussion um, in that a large part of the problem with policing, in addition to what's been said, is that it, it's the structure of the things that police are made responsible for, which they should not be. They do not have adequate training. Um, they are not personally in their salaries paid adequately for it either. <laughs> so it, it's like it's it, it, there, there's a multitude of, of um, things there, right? So defund in terms of like it was said, you know, the militarization piece and those funds to be otherwise allocated or reallocated, redistributed. Let me just, to, I'm, I don't mean to cut your point off, but I but, just want to interject that there should be no reason for Kenosha, Wisconsin to have military anything. Anything. <laughs> like, anything. Period. Okay. And that shows the fact that they were ready with that yep. kind of stuff. They had the tech. Um, they was ready to go. They had the tech. Um, so demilitarization, which has always been part of the conversation, but maybe more folks weren't necessarily privy to the conversation because it didn't involve white liberals. Um, it didn't involve neoliberalism. But as a person coming from the perspective of pan-Africanist um, organization, grassroots organization, I can tell you that just wasn't the word that we were using. We weren't saying defund the police. We were saying demilitarize. We were talking about the, the increasing militarization of police um and also um we were talking about the the rhetoric that we use was like um the military occupation of the black community those are some of the um buzz terms that we were using that we typically do use and have been using since the time of the you know um black panther party for self-defense that we all you know classically know about so in that world those are some of the terms that we were used to using but the point is you know, allowing and incorporating more of community responsibility and community response with this. And when I say community response and responsibility, more community policing, less um, simply trying to make yourselves a so-called ally of the community so that that opens the door that the community will come give you tips all the time. Because that's really just kind of the way that that kind of relationship tends to end up going. Um, so, you know, less of that less less of making us just trustworthy enough so that you end up being ad hoc informants when we want um less of that um even though to whatever degree i guess you can say uh depending on the situation because of course the, the information has to come from the community because the police not gonna know right off the bat depending on what the situational crime is um as we've already seen though um the community response especially with um 
with regards to the situation where there was this whole where was was this in Milwaukee um where there were the 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 whole and I, I didn't prepare this particular part um the reason why I don't have the link um already up to to discuss specifically the situation but um where there was a whole house of you know human trafficking going on and stuff There's like Milwaukee. that and Milwaukee right um whole house of human trafficking going on the the police like trying to keep it hush and what have you and the community wasn't having it the community went in there busting up everything um the the police was trying to like van folks out stuff like that and the community went and shut down the whole situation burnt the house down and carrying on so you know um so so there are things like that and then what we're talking about is, like I said, reallocating those funds to the parts that police should not be responsible for and making sure that those parts are otherwise properly funded, which they generally are not. So we're talking about proper crime labs or, or rather like forensic um, materials that need to be had because then that oftentimes is the difference between you know just the book being thrown at someone as we have seen historically and is now we're 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 at a point in our society where we're going back through a lot of those things with like the innocence project and, and the like going back through all those um situations and finding the actual people responsible or um finding you know, finding out that the folks who actually were incarcerated for the situation or the murder or whatever it was, they've been languishing in jail for decades, missing their children and now grandchildren's lives where they're not responsible for the crime at all, had nothing to do with it, right? So funding those um, initiatives, we could fund um, more uh, fully staffed public defender um course you know we we could more fully fund um legal aid for folks we could more fully fund um what else we got social workers we need social workers to be on tap with with police forces because a lot of the times what ends up happening is that police get called for mental health situations where they really have no business necessarily being there except for being let's say so so within the state of New Jersey, I know that when you make that type of call where someone needs to be um, taken to crisis, because in some situations we may not necessarily on the spot have available any more rapid response. That's something where you can call a certain number or what have you. And, you know, these caseworkers, social workers or behavioral specialists will come out um, to the home, to the community, to the situation and, you know, assess and, and move forward with the mental health crisis as it is in progress. Right. Um, those services may not always be available because they're not also always funded properly or whatever else have you may be happening. So with all these different layers, you may call a hospital or you may call 911. If you don't know how to properly make the call, then that's also the next thing because you may say certain things and they'll just send a unit of police out. Now this is a whole nother problem, which sometimes as we've seen has ended up in the murder of the person you're calling for, which it was just a mental health issue, right? So crisis calls. Police should only be involved with that insofar as they're overseeing to make sure that nobody is physically hurt, right? To make sure that the social worker or ambulatory um, folks, the EMTs who do respond are not physically threatened or hurt, 
that's the only role that police should ever play in that in which I've seen that literally be what's happening because I know how to make the crisis call because I've worked in mental health situations and in schools or what have you where I've had to make that call. So I know how to make the call, but generally people don't. And it's just literally that difference in language in knowing how to make that call that could end up costing somebody their life or livelihood, right? So it's things like that. We need to have that type of funding instead of police forces having tanks or whatever the case may be or just you know the newfangled suv and things like that which again it goes to these types of materials it does not necessarily go to the salaries of police officers or the mental health care and otherwise care of the actual police officers themselves which then makes more taxing um, of a livelihood and a situation and burden on those police officers as well. So then you have situations mounting where you got people who really should not be on the beat at all because they are mentally and psychologically compromised, but they are. And so they're making, they're making responses to calls that they really shouldn't be. And so then that ends up with the various incidents in certain ways that we've seen as well, costing black folks their black folks their lives. So when we say defund the police, let's be clear about what it is that's being said to those who are otherwise ignorant and will not take the steps to go educate themselves. <laughs> also, <laughs> you know, I want to add this little tidbit. When we say defund the police, that's all. That's also what we mean. It's yeah, not, I'm not. That's what. Not, yeah, but. The the NYPD budget. Let's give. Oh my God. The NYPD budget is six, what, six billion dollars. <laughs> That's more than the New York City than New York City spends on health, homelessness, youth development, and workforce development combined. Okay. These police budgets are ridiculously inflated. And for whatever reason, whether it's to go to more military or to go to salaries or go to anywhere, it's inflated. Um, and then we have to make, make the connection that according to data and statistics, policing is based on race. Um, it's based on the color of a person's skin. <laughs> I mean, until, and, until arrests start to trend in a different direction, um, then that's what policing is based on. Um, so then you can't be the party for black people and then have all of these police shootings and things happen, happen in black communities that um, you're governing um, and then police are not held accountable. Instead, protests occur. And then when protests occur, protesters of every race who are protesting against anti-blackness are then killed. Um, by those same police, by the militarized weapons that police are funded and given. Um, so it's a big circle here and it's just flat out. And that's why people are calling for this because the money could be used in other places like Jessica um, illustrated. So you just can't, you can't say that you're for this one thing and then be against us um well i guess you can because we see how politics have developed in this country over the last however many years but just know that those statements are completely empty and they mean absolutely nothing because the tangible action typically goes to continuing to continuing anti-blackness um 
And that's just like the point that we are trying to <laughs> illustrate here, which I know a lot of people listening are like, they're with us on that. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, hearing, just to kind of sum everything up, it's uh, just the hearing the, the vote, the vote, the vote. You know, as a, I can speak to myself, as a black man in this country, to have the choice between um, a Donald Trump who is a liar and says whatever he has to say, he does nothing um, for us. And then to look across the aisle and see a man who's um, maybe not solely responsible, but part of the problem when it comes to our current conditions, when it comes to incarceration and uh, authored a bill that affected our family, affected people, friends, and people that I know. Um, And then I see a representation supposedly of uh, black womanhood across the aisle who has done things to hurt black women and hurt black men. Um, And none of these candidates will speak directly to what they will do for us. They speak in platitudes. Um, You know, Kamala and Biden both talk about, oh, fighting against the status quo. And we're happy to see people fighting against the status quo. But they are the status quo. They are the people that are trying to... They are the damn status quo. Yeah. Um, Obama does the same thing. Uh, Clinton says the same thing. Uh, And we have have to address this if we want to do better as a people, especially when it comes to being involved in American politics, if we so choose to. Um, And I think the last point I kind of want to leave off on when it comes to uh, the voting um, and Jess, we've talked about this before, right? It's uh, the, uh, uh, your ancestors died for this. <laughs> um, our ancestors died for a lot. <laughs> they died for a lot, you know? Our ancestors died for literally everything they ever tried to raise their voices about. Everything. They died for and, this. And, and not by virtue of trying to do, trying to die. <laughs> not by virtue of trying to die. And it's also it up that way. It's also erasure, because yes, black revolutionary politics has taken many forms. Right? We we've also spoken about the fact that we are not um, a monolith. Like we're not just one roaming, you know, brain trust. Um, black revolutionary politics. There has been black revolutionary politics that talks about completely taking yourself out of American politics. There has been. Um, you know, revolutionary politics like Malcolm X, who was like, you know, we're going to register to vote, but we're going to use our vote. We're going to all register and then we're going to use it as a bargaining chip, which I love that. Um, there's all kinds of different ways to attack this. So our, our ancestors died for a lot. Um, our Black people right now are dying for a lot. They're dying in democratically run cities. Um, they, are, they are dying and they're being killed um, under this entire system, which is governed by both parties. So whenever people use that, your ancestors died for the vote, I, I, my, my response is my ancestors died for a lot and my black people are still dying for a lot right now that is being upheld by whoever candidate you tell me on the two major parties. Um, so we have to keep that in mind, you know, we, we stop using um. it. 
I'm 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 still on the same. I'm and, and you know we talk about narratives all the time, and we will talk again about narratives in um, our next episode um, because they're complicated. But I just I just want to preface even that and um, add on to what you just said in that our ancestors died for a lot of things, but we can't keep. Um, supporting not now and not from back then either or whenever back then has ever been we cannot continue to support the monolithic narrative that is painted of any era or any situation about black folks because honestly that is one of the biggest things that has also um, and it's been used to our to our uh, benefit, but it's also to our detriment. We need to understand all of the voices. We need to understand all of them. Um, it needs to be understood that regardless to what we may feel about um, black suffrage and um, the eventual, well, the 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 most notable because his, his uh, view changed over time, but like the most notable um, view pushed by, let's say, um, Dr. King and the like about black voting and things like that. I'm just using this as like the biggest example. Um, we can't continue to push a certain narrative about that because make no mistake about it, during the time, he wasn't necessarily as liked as <laughs> okay i'm gonna take out the necessarily i don't need to qualify it like he was not liked <clears throat> he was not as liked as it is now made you know to seem he wasn't um yes there was a mass movement yes a whole lot of people maybe even a majority of people but there was a significant amount of folks who felt differently most, if not all, of our Black revolutionary history, uh, most, most, if not all, of our Black revolutionary heroes were liked by the public and the mass people and the mass public. Now a lot of them are propped up and used for right. others, like you said. Right. Um, but he, he was he was not liked. He was not liked by a lot of his peers. Like, uh, you know, he... It, it, it just was not sweeping across the board and and that particular um, um, perspective was not sweeping across the board. There were there were dissenting opinions. And I'm not saying that those dissenting opinions were right necessarily or whatever. I'm not I'm not necessarily appending um, an opinion to it. I'm just saying that we need to be careful about spinning one narrative and we need to be careful about the folks who say that you have to spin one narrative, that we only have to go with this and nobody needs to say anything out loud in criticism whatsoever. That's really just my thing there. You know what I mean? Um, just, just to echo that. But yeah, I just wanted to kind of wrap, wrap this up too, to be more solution oriented is, um, you have people who go, okay, we recognize that Trump is a fascist. He is an insane dictator uh, wannabe. And then you have Biden and Kamala who are the top cops. Um, so as black folks, you know, what are we what are we supposed to do? You know, I'm just gonna vote, you know, you guys pointing out the flaws of, of the Democratic candidates, what are we supposed to do? And I would say this that when it comes to the answers first, we have to be real about the critiques and real about what the candidates offer to the black community. 
Um, I think Ice Cube said it recently where he said, what's in it for us? Right, correct. Um, we, so we have to do that. That's first. And we can't be shy about addressing these things because the truth of the matter is, like we highlighted to begin, 88% of Black folks voted for Hillary, knowing her history, okay? And typically Black folks are going to vote for the liberal candidate because those... Those are the people who we feel or who portray that they have the best in mind for us, right? Um, But we have to come to the realization of using our vote as a bargaining chip. It has to be on the table. It can't just be a taboo anymore that we say, shut up, don't talk about that. It has to be a tangible bargaining chip. Your voice has to be that. So we have to come to that real conversation of maybe it's about time we start talking about that more and having it continue to be part more of the conversation. Um, And also we have to push for the things that we imagine we would want. So Mm -hmm. people talk about things being too idealistic. No, we have to treat them realistic. You know, Mm -hmm. these these policies have to become real. And we see some Mm -hmm. who are, you know, who are, joining Congress and being voted in um, from the uh, the grassroots level um, who are voted now into Congress and are hopefully um, like Cori Bush, who was recently voted in um, in Missouri, in the U.S. Congress in uh, Missouri's first district. Um, she has been a grassroots person um, doing a lot on the ground when it comes to um, organizing and she was recently voted in. Um, so we have to do things like that. We have to find those people who are speaking to our issues, who are speaking to making this world a better place. Um, that's why a lot of people went to Bernie um, and wanted Bernie in, um, whether however you feel about his politics. But that was the reason. <laughs> that was the reason that people voted for him. They felt like one, he had the most idealistic approach, and that if you get enough people in, it can become realistic. Um, so we just have, we have to do that more. We have to think outside the box on how to, and you know, put policy in place to help us because continuing this lesser evil um, and then making it seem like this lesser evil will somehow liberate us, it's not true. And it's never going to happen like that. Um, so, yeah, we just have to think outside of the box more and, and use our vote and our voices more to affect change and actually keep people accountable before they get into office, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so with that being said, family, um, those are our thoughts today. As always, you know, there was a whole lot we wanted to get to, but we have a whole lot in store. There's a whole lot that you already know has happened this past week that we still want to definitely touch on and give some context to. Um, But yeah, we really wanted to get to this 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 mythical black vote creature um, <laughs> and all the far-reaching implications. So um, thanks for hanging in there with us. Um, we'll be back with our next episode. We want to talk about um, black creativity, black creative spaces, black is king, such and such. Um, but again, thank you for tuning in with us. This has been the Blackocracy. I don't even know what episode we're on now. This is Seven, Jess eight. signing off. <laughs> <laughs> One of those. <laughs> One of those. All right, guys, we're going to talk to you very soon.